I'm going to share a little bit along the lines of what I did last week. And, uh, you know, as we were talking in staff meeting Tuesday, I had a different message really that I thought I was going to be preaching today. And uh, after staff meeting on Tuesday, uh, I, I just felt like I need to adjust my plans. And I need to come up uh, and, and to sh- share some things with you today. And it's more of a pastoral type of message. And, uh, you know, in the years past, uh, I've done a vision Sunday and I would kind of retell what has happened through the church and the life of the church in the last year. But I feel like I've done a decent job communicating to you because uh, obviously last year was one for the books, right? And uh, so I don't think I need to go through much detail. I think we're all pretty aware uh, of what happened and even our response to that as a church. And, and I do commend you uh, because we got to impact our city in a very real and tangible way because of the storms. Um, but I, I, as your pastor, and this is important, so there's a, let me say this is that If I'm your pastor, you can actually receive this message. If you're not, if I'm not, welcome. You get to find out a little bit about who we are. But it is important because, you know, and I don't mean this wrongly. I'm not your preacher. Because your preacher just means this is the guy I go listen to. The difference is a pastor, the Bible says, I will stand before the Lord For how I have watched over and cared for you. Now there's an important distinction here. I answer to the Lord. Not that I'm not accountable. I have lots of accountability. I believe in that. I believe in a lot, a lot, a lot of accountability. So it's not that I'm some kind of guy who's just in charge and I don't listen to anybody. That's not the way it works at all. I don't think that's healthy for number one. I don't think it's wise, number two. And I just think it's God's design, number three. So that's the reason I believe in accountability. But I do stand in a unique position in the sense that, so let me give you an example of this. Last week I gave you a challenge and I'm going to challenge you again with it today. This is a pastoral challenge is to take notes. Why? Because when you take notes, you tend to pay more attention and you're not here to actually hear from me today. I know you hear my voice right now. And I may say some things, but you're not actually here to listen to a person or anybody who would stand in this pulpit. You should actually be here today to hear from the heart of God, to speak into your heart. And that's why it doesn't really matter who stands in the pulpit. The question is not, what are they saying? The question is, is what is God saying to me? And what is God instructing me in? Because we're not just here for information. How many of you know that information will not change you? I mean, you can go to school, you can get all kinds of educated, but it doesn't mean it changes behaviors or thoughts or or attitudes or anything. It just means you know a few things. But when God speaks to us, it takes information, it turns it into revelation that will what? Bring about transformation. We are after transformation. I'm not after behavior modification. I'm not here to worship and to preach a pretty message and everybody leaves and nobody changes. I think that's kind of an insult to Jesus if we reduce church to that. Because he paid an awful price for us to just stay the same. No, he paid a price so that we would be transformed. The Bible says that we're what renewed, we're transformed in the way that we think, in the way that we process, in the way that our emotions rule our life. And so when we, what? When we take notes, it's an invitation to God. That I'm here to learn something today. That God, when you speak, I'm ready. Because, and and I do this often. 
is I'll go back and reread things that God may have spoke to me. I read something yesterday that I heard about eight months ago. And I was just reading through it again. Little, they, were, they were notes from a, a message that I'd listened to. And I was like, man, I forgot about that. And I forgot about this. And I forgot about that. And there's times that the Lord will prompt me to go back and read some notes. And I don't take notes because I'm a, preach, I'm a preacher. And I, although I'm not going to lie, I do this at times. Like, oh, that's really good. I'm going to preach that. I, <laughs> imitation is the highest form of flattery, right? And, uh, but even beyond that, what about the truth that will change my life? That's why it's important. We want to have the heart and the attitude of a student when we come to church. Now, I don't care if you have a notepad. I don't care if you write it on the back of the hand as long as you don't wash it off. You ever do that when you're in middle school? Write little things on your hand. You're like, I'm never washing my hand again. You know, come on, y'all. Some of y'all did that. Don't lie. But we, uh, and, and so we really want that. And that is our desire. And so today I'm going to share with you, and it's a, kind of an adapted version of vision. Some of you, this is going to be a reminder. And some of you, it's going to help you know who we are, uh, you know, uh, as far as who we are as a church, why we exist. Because I think it's important that we do more than we exist just to open our doors and people show up and we leave. It's like, what's the purpose? Why are we here? And so I'm going to share with you some of our vision, some of our values, but even practically what that looks like, how that looks. And so for my sake of time, I need to get going on my notes so I can make it through and get you out of here in my hour and 15 minute target, which may or may not happen. We will see. But I don't guarantee it. It's just the goal, right? And uh, so last week I shared with you this verse out of Ephesians chapter 4. We actually spent our entire uh, time last week in Ephesians 4, uh, specifically verses 1 through verses 14, and um, or verse 16. And I would encourage you, if you haven't had a chance, I would go and read those scriptures. That'd be a good thing to write down. Ephesians 4. 1 through 16, go read that. And uh, because it talks quite a bit about uh, what we're talking about here. And so I'm going to start, I'm just going to read the first three verses here. And it says, so this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. He says, therefore, I being a prisoner for serving the Lord. Now he was a prisoner by choice. He chose to be. You know, God doesn't make anybody serve him, right? We're free moral agents. In other words, we have a decision to make. God won't force you to do anything. So he says that I'm a prisoner for for serving the Lord. He says, I beg you, I plead with you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Whether you realize it or not, God has called you, created you for a purpose. I say it this way, is that God had a purpose in mind when he created you. You didn't come before the purpose. It's not like he created you and then was like, not sure what I'm going to do with this one yet. We're just going to go ahead and... They'll figure it out as I figured out. No, God had a purpose in mind. Therefore, he created you. So he gives the instruction. says, live a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called. You have, not that you will be. You, you have a call right now. Are you breathing? Hopefully. Is everybody breathing in the room? If you're breathing, you got a purpose. And so it says that you've been called by God. He gives us some instructions. says, hey, be humble, be gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because none of you are perfect. No, it doesn't say that. It says make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Because of your love. What? For God, for for Christ. Because God's love lives on the inside of us, we can actually overcome other people's stupidity. Because guess what? It's not just them. 
We all have some stupidity moments, right? If you don't think you do, ask your spouse. They will confirm that I'm speaking the truth. They will tell you this. I like the Passion Translation. It says, especially those, so we are to love those, and especially those who try our patience. Glory to God. Can we erase that from Scripture? Because it would be more convenient. Verse 3, it continues. Now, I remind you that he's talking to the church here, and he says, make every effort, make every effort to keep yourselves united, which means it's going to take some work to stay hooked up and to stay united With other believers. Why? Because Jesus said offense will come. If we live this life. We're going to have an opportunity to be offended. Especially by the church. Or the people in the church. And what? That will separate us from the body. That we've been called to be a part of. Right? And so here it says. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Binding yourselves together with peace. Let me just give you a a very natural way to know this. How do I know if I'm not in peace with somebody? When you hear their name or see their face, something kind of like, you don't have peace towards that person. And the Bible says you need to work to make sure that, make every effort to be unified with the body of Christ. And so he goes on here and he says, for there is one body, there is one spirit, just as as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. Now, next week, we're going to be starting into a series called About Hope. But, you know, there's only actual real hope in one person. It's not a place. It's not a thing. It's a person, and it's Jesus. He is the only hope for humanity, and there is no other answer. And here the Bible says that we have been called to this glorious hope. For what? For our future. Not just the future like when I get to heaven. It's for the future like tomorrow. I have a reason to get out of bed tomorrow. You have a reason to what? To interact with people this week. Why? Because you've been given a hope and that hope is Jesus. And the Bible says that we're supposed to live a life ready to give an account why we serve Jesus. Not why I went to church. That I'm supposed to live in that place of why do I believe what I believe? And so it's important that we understand this. Another aspect of this, and it talks about this multiple times, it says that we're to work to maintain the unity of the faith or of the, of the body. I say, why does that really matter? Because any time that there's unity, the power of God will show up and bless it. Now, you could go read Psalms 133, verse 1 and verse 2. It talks about this. It says, how good and pleasant is it when the brethren and the sisters what dwell in unity. But verse 2 actually says, and it, it relates it to this. It says, it's like the oil flowing from the head of Aaron, which this is an Old Testament concept. And so the anointing of God, the power of God. And it says, when people walk in unity... It's like when the oil or the anointing of God would come upon the priest of the Old Testament and it would start from the top of his head and it would flow down and it was a picture of the church that would come. And what initiates the power of God? Unity. Acts chapter 2. It was the day the Holy Spirit was poured out. We call it the day of Pentecost, the day of power. What brought it about? They were all in one place. They were all with one heart and one mind. And the power showed up in response... To the hearts of the believers being connected. It's the unity of the heart of of believers. 
And so if we're going to be unified, that begs the question, what are we unified around? And so my, my goal in my heart today is to give us real clear picture of who we are and what we do. As a church, not me as a leader, not me as the pastor of the church. This is who we are. This is what we are about. If we know who we are, then we know what to do. Right? As a Christian, because I know who I am in Christ, it actually tells me how I should act and what I should be about. Because I know who I am, I know what to do. I shared this with you last week, and I'm going to read it to you again. It comes out of Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. I'm not going to read it in context. You can go and read this, but it's the account where Peter says that, you know, Jesus is asking, who do you say that, or who do men say that I am? And then he says, okay, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, you're the anointed one, you're the Messiah. And Jesus' response here says, I'm going to read this out of the Passion Translation. It says, this truth of who I am will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church. The church is built when Jesus is glorified. If it's not about Jesus, it's not about anything of substance. I mean, I don't care how many scriptures you can quote. If you don't know Jesus, you have missed the mark. He is central and focused. He is, he, let me say it this way. He is in everything. He is for everything. Everything that we do is to bring people to a relationship and a connection with him. Why? Because he is the only one that actually produces change. Why? Because he is real hope. There is no other. The message translation says it this way. It says, this is the rock that revelation, remember I said information never changes you, but revelation, Peter had a moment of revelation where he realized Jesus is the Messiah. And what did Jesus' response to that say? Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. In other words, Peter, you're not that smart and you got some revelation. Somebody beyond you, Peter, because we know you. Peter gives us all hope. Peter gets a bad rap, but man, I'm thankful for Peter. You always want to look at somebody and be like, well, I'm not as bad as him. You know, that's Peter, right? The message translation says, upon this rock, that revelation on which I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. So many times I shared this with you last week is that we think of it as that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It's actually the word picture in the Greek is actually the reverse. There's nothing in hell and all the power of Satan can never stop the church. We are not at the disadvantage. The enemy's done a very good job to try to convince us that the church is powerless and the enemy is powerful. It's the opposite. The Bible says he's already a defeated foe. Already. But if he can trick us into believing something else, that will be the truth we live by. But just because we may see something and believe something doesn't mean that it's actually true. Here it says that the church would be so expansive with energy. I love that. Church ought to be energetic. It ought to be alive. I don't want to be a part of a dead church. I can go to the cemetery and have a nice little service with a bunch of dead people. That's not what I want. I want the church to be alive. Why? Because Jesus is alive. He's the one who rose from the dead. And he says that resurrection life now lives in us, resides in us. 
See, the church is much more than just the building. See, sometimes we can think of it like, hey, this building is the church. No, this building is brick. It's building material. We have a nice new roof, praise the Lord. But guess what? Nobody's getting saved because we got some new shingles on the roof. As a matter of fact, the community could care less about the building materials. What they do care about is the church that they interact with day in and day out in their neighborhood and at work and at the store. And unfortunately, many people, now I pray this is never said about us, have a negative view of the church. Like here's a random fact that I learned a few years ago. This is not to do with you, it actually has to do with the church itself. Did you know in the world of business that a, a loan to a church is the riskiest loan a bank will ever give? 70% get foreclosed on. I had a banker tell me that. I was blown away. It is the riskiest loan that a bank will ever give. Blew my mind. What, what testimony does that give us in the banking world? A pretty bad one. Well, what does our lifestyle do for our testimony to the world around us? Because we are the church. We are the body of Christ. And we need to have what hearts united. In other words, let me say it another word. Is that our hearts need to be committed one to another. In other words, church isn't just about me. It's about us. The collective. The group of us that comes together. So if we're going to be united and we're going to really be committed one to another, then we need to understand why we're here. This is where vision comes in. Vision isn't everything, but it is really important. Because without vision, we don't know where we're going. And Proverbs twenty nine eighteen says, without vision, it actually says, without an understanding of what God has called you to, you are going to run wild. That's the David translation. Other translations would say without clear vision, people will cast off restraint. So why are we here as a church? Now, some of you are going to know these things, but I'm going to give you a little bit more detail and more specifics as to what this looks at. So if I was to ask you, if I was to walk up to you today and say, hey, what is the vision of the church? Why are we here? Like, why did we turn the heat on that we eventually turned to air conditioner this morning? Why did we turn on the lights? Why did we unlock our doors? Like, why are we here today? There's four purposes, four goals, if you will. And the first is that we want you to know God. That's the number one step. We want every person to know God, not just that comes on our property. We want every person in our city and in the surrounding areas to have a real relationship with God. We were just singing a song a few minutes ago and said, God, come in and tear down my tradition. Tear down my religion. Why? Because those become barriers to knowing God. Because God will not be confined by a set of rules or regulations or even a building. But he, he does want us to know him personally. So we want people to know God. We want you to find freedom. Why? Because you have a past and your past needs to be healed. You're like, yeah, but I got a pretty good past. You still got some wounds. You still got things that are, uh, that are hindering your, your uh, progress with God. So you need to find freedom. We want you to discover your purpose, right? Why? I've already said it. You were created with a purpose. You might want to find out why. God created you for a reason. It's not just another human running the face of the earth. 
And the last one is we want you to make a difference. Well, we want you to make a difference inside of your calling. Not just, hey, I need somebody to stick over here. Yeah, you'll do. Come here. Go make a difference. No, I want you to find out what you're called to, what you're geared for. Now, let me, now this is, so that's our vision. We want you to know God. We want you to find freedom. We want you to discover purpose so that you can make a difference. Okay, well, that all sounds good, but what does that mean? So functionally, practically, when we talk about knowing God, what does that look like? Functionally, practically, realistically, and how does that, we do weekend services. That's the reason that we gather. We want to use this as a time for what? For people to connect with God. That's the reason why we gather. And so there's two purposes for a Sunday morning. Now, so this determines what I preach, how I preach, what we do in a service, what we don't do in a service. And there's really two primary things. First and foremost, we are here to see the lost get saved. And number two is for me to pastor you. And I would say it this way. It's for me to lead you and to feed you. That's my call. As, as a pastor, that's what I'm called to do. The Bible would use the term or the, the illustration of a shepherd. I'm to lead you and I'm to feed you. You go look in Psalms and, you know, what? The Lord leads me beside still waters and he makes sure there's a pasture for me to eat, right? So I don't need to bring like stale leftovers to you. I need to bring fresh bread from the heart of God. That's my responsibility, so we want to see people saved. We want to see people grow. But this isn't the, the fullness of what God wants to do. You may say, man, I love church. I just, I just feel disconnected. Well, that's where this fine freedom part comes in. Not only does God want to heal you. Because you say, well, how do I find freedom in relationship? Sometimes we can't see our own blind spots. And we need people to speak into our blind spots. And many times that would be an area of hurt. And it's like, hey, do you realize that you respond like this? God wants to, like, why? And it's like, well, you know, I had a bad experience. It's like, well, God wants to heal that. So in a small group, it's another area or another way that you will be pastored. Not just by me. James chapter 5 says this. It says that we are to confess our sins to the Lord and then go to one another so that we will be healed. We get forgiveness from God, but we get healed by the body. I mean, it's not my words, that's scripture. James chapter 5, go read it. I confess my sins to God, but I go to the body of Christ to find healing. That's why groups matter. Let me say it another way. Is that in groups is where you will be loved and discipled. I know I have people ask me from time to time, like, hey, how does the church, what's the discipleship model around here? Like, how, how do I grow in my faith? You need to get in relationship. We all got some rough edges and we need some people to help us smooth them off. That will happen in relationships. Discover purpose. This one's probably the, the quicker, easiest one, but it is important, which is discover your purpose. We have a two-step process to help you figure out who you are. You get the opportunity to Become a member of the church if you so choose. It's not a requirement, but that's where you can do that. That's in Discover 101. You can actually do that anytime you want. You register online, it's going to send you a link. We've made it completely digital. So you can join the church on a Wednesday night if you want to. 201, which we have coming up in just a couple weeks. I believe it's the 21st, if I'm not mistaken. 
That's where you're going to come and find out about your giftings, the way that God has already wired you. This is where you get empowered. Now, I think that's important because for too long, and I've been guilty of this, of sitting in the seat looking at the pastor saying, hey, it's your job to reach people. No, it's our job. I have a part to play. I don't, I'm, you know, I can't be the quarterback, the running back, the receiver. I, I can't run every play by myself. And unfortunately, many churches have allowed pastors to try to do that, and they wonder why pastors burn out. Now, again, this is just a pastoral conversation. And my goal is to do this for a long time. A long time. But it's going to require that we all do our part. Well, this is part of how we do it. We get empowered. Well, why do we get empowered? If you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go listen to the message from last week. I talked more about it. I don't have time to get into all of it today. The last part, though, is that we make a difference. And one of the ways, one of the ways that you can make a difference is by serving on our dream team. There are people serving throughout our building right now. Like my kids aren't in here, praise the Lord. Because they would be talking to me from right there, especially my daughter. Daddy, daddy, daddy. And I would be very distracted by my daughter. But thankfully, we have some people who are serving, watching my babies, your babies, somebody else's babies, potentially. Why? So that we can be in here and can focus. So this is what I would say about, you say, well, why does it make a difference? And why do I need to know my calling? Because you need to know why you're saved. God didn't just save you to go to heaven. That's part of it, but it didn't stop there. There's way more than that. And so let me continue because I'm already way behind on my time. I got a lot more to go. So so here's a truth for you. And this is important for us to know. So we know who we are. We know why we're here. Here's a truth that we all need to know and really grab hold of. Is that church isn't about our preferences. Let me say it again. Church is not about my preference. It's not about your preference. Yeah, but I would like this or I would like, sure. Oh man, the lights are too dark. The the lights aren't dark enough. The music's too loud. The music's not loud enough. I hear it all. Trust me. To please one means you don't please the other. And here's what I know. Is that many times personal preferences become a distraction from purpose. Especially in the church. Let me say it this way. Again, pastoral conversation, right? We don't want to be petty about things that don't matter. Lights in the room don't matter to the person that's going to hell. It doesn't matter to the person that is hurting that needs to be healed. They don't care what song we sing. What they care about is did God show up in the middle of that service? And did I connect with God today? That's what matters. So we don't want to be about preference over purpose. Vision and purpose matters. Why? Because that purpose is people. And if it's about anything other than people, then it doesn't matter in eternity. Because all the stuff, this church will not be resurrected with us. And you know, it's not like Jesus is going to call us to heaven. And all of a sudden we're all going to be like, come to the church and then we get raptured. This building will still be here after we're gone. But the purpose and reaching people is what matters. And so we need to have what clarity of vision, clarity of purpose. Why? Because you know what happens when you chase two rabbits, right? 
You get none. None, zero. You don't catch either. Why? Because you're doing, oh, oh, which way should I go? And by the time you make a decision, they're already gone. So as a church, we've got to be focused. And that helps us what? Stay united. Jesus said it this way. He said that I came to seek and to save the lost. It's pretty clear. Jesus said, I'm looking for people who need to be saved. So the the reality and the truth of this is, is that if, if we're not concerned about people who are lost, people who are hurting, that are actually headed to hell for eternity, we might need to look at our spiritual heart to make sure that our heart is actually aligned with God's heart. Because the truth is, is that God is distracted by those that are not here. And I don't mean physically in this building. I mean those who are not in the family of God. He is distracted by it. Now, it doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. Undoubtedly, yes. But guess what? You are already at the table. What he is seeing is the seat that's empty. I mean, for those of you that have kids, holidays come around. If one of your kids is not there, is the table full? No, you're distracted by the one that's not there. It's not that you don't love the kids at the table any less. Or that you love the one that's not there any more. It's just not whole. It's just not complete. And so we have to understand this. So as the church, and if we're going to understand who we're called to be, then then here's another truth for you, is that the church doesn't exist for the church. We don't exist for this. We exist for the world. We exist to make a difference in the world around us and in our city. So we don't exist just so that we can gather together. It's a part of what we do. It is not the focus of what we do. The focus of what we do is we want to what? We want to have an impact in that we exist. You as a believer, as a Christian, you exist to lead people to Jesus. By your actions, by your lifestyle, and by your testimony. You lead people to Jesus. See, the church was not designed or intended to be weak. It was actually, and we read this earlier, is that Jesus said that the church would be so expansive with energy or with power and ability. See, the church is designed to be purposeful and powerful. This is who we're called to be. But, we, but this is what I know is that we won't be powerful until we're all understanding our purpose. Because... And we read some of these verses last week, and I don't have the time to re-preach that. I spent 52 minutes last week preaching to you. It's probably the longest message I've preached in my two and a half years here. But we have to understand who we are, who we're created to be, that, hey, I'm on the team. I mean, I know everybody, let me just give you, for you sports fans out there, how many of you would say that Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback in NFL history? A few people are like, I was about to say, I'm in saints country, but, uh, all right, let me switch the question. How many of you believe that Drew Brees is the greatest quarterback in NFL history? All right, let me ask you this. How many passes has Drew Brees caught? 
How many touchdowns has he caught? How many touchdowns has he ran for? Why? What if Drew Brees decided, I'm going to be the running back? Move over, Taysom, I'm coming through. Right? He knows his role. And this is what I know. Without an offensive line that never gets any credit, the Saints are dead last every year. And Drew Brees probably made it a year. And he wouldn't be a great quarterback. Why? Because he would be in a bed somewhere, every bone in his body probably broken. Why? Because the guys that don't get the credit are the ones who keep him safe. They're the ones that give him those couple of seconds to make those important decisions because he's not distracted with running for his life. They got to know their blocking schemes. When Drew Brees gets sacked because somebody comes on a blitz and he throws the ball down at the ground, he's yelling at a guy. Why? Because they didn't know their role. They didn't do their purpose. You got to know your purpose. You got to know why you're here. Where you, let me say it another way. You got to know where you fit on the team. Because none of us can win by ourselves. But when we come together, we can win every time. And the Bible actually backs it. Says that the gates of hell cannot withstand the church when it's unified. Ephesians chapter 4. I have it in my notes, verses 14 through 16. I think this is verse 16, because I'm only reading one. I shared this with you last week. But it says that Jesus makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body. So each part does its part so that everybody can be healthy, growing, and full of love. So your part, when it's not being filled, actually affects the rest. Like, yeah, but I'm just, I I don't have, God created you for a purpose. And without you, we're incomplete. That's what the Bible says. It's not David. It's not what I say. It's what the word of God says. When each part does its own special work, the whole body, the entire body, will be healthy, growing, and full of love. I shared this with you last week, but it's a truth, and it's that the church, and specifically this church, needs you. And the flip side of that is that you need this church. I need this church. Because God doesn't bring people out to be orphans. No, he calls the orphans into families. Christianity is not intended or designed to be lonely. We're to be in a relationship vertically with God and horizontally with other people. It's the way that it works. Verse 7 of Ephesians uh, 4 here says that, uh, however, that Christ has given each one a very special gift or a grace because of his generosity. See, so if the vision tells us why we do what we do, so I've just shared with you about the vision and, and your part in that. We have four desires for you. I want you to know God. Like, I want you to know God, not just know about him. Like, to actually know him personally. Like, to know his nature and to know his character. So that when you face circumstances, you say, this is not consistent with the character of God that I know. Therefore, I know this couldn't be him. This has to be the enemy. But if I don't know God, I don't know who to blame. And sometimes we need to blame ourselves. 
Because we got something called the flesh that gets in the way and we want to blame the devil. And it's actually not the devil, it's the flesh. I don't have time to preach that, but that one's for free. So if vision gives us the why, our values tell us the how. Because I think it's important because I can preach vision. It's like, great. What does that look like? Core values. We have seven core values here at the church. And these values drive everything that we do. It's, It's the filter by which we run everything through. I'll give you a very practical example of this. One of our values is generosity. After the hurricanes, we had the opportunity to serve a whole bunch of food. Does that fit within our values? Yes. Should we do it? Yes. There are other times and sometimes people may even approach me or somebody on the team and they say, hey, if we ever consider doing this, I can tell you, I'm going to go back to these seven things and say, and tell you, does that fit within our values? If the answer is no, then we don't do it. it, it they're like guardrails. They help keep us focused. Because sometimes the church can get so busy doing a lot of things that we stop being the church. I'm not against doing things. I think we should. Give you another example of this. Now, obviously, we didn't do it this year. We would have had we had the opportunity. But last year, we put a float in the Mardi Gras parade. And I know some of you probably weren't real comfortable with that. And I'm okay with that. But this is what I know. Why? Because our values said, yes, we should do that. Because this is what I know. If Jesus was in Lake Charles and there was a, Jesus goes where the people are. Right? Well, that made that decision really easy, even though it was uncomfortable. I can remember when I first announced it, it was like the air got sucked right out of this room. <laughs> Everybody's little religious hairs went straight up. And they're like, oh, Mm, I don't know about this guy. But I can tell you this, we saw fruit from it. And I can tell you stories. And you're like, yeah, but that was kind of risky. Jesus was risky. Jesus did not play things safe. So what? So again, if vision gives us the why, values tell us how. So I'm going to give them to you quickly. We have seven values. And... The first one is that simplicity with excellence. I don't believe that excellence is perfection because perfection is not possible. My definition of excellence is actually doing the best you can with what you have. That's excellence because it's unrealistic to expect you to do something more with something that you don't have. But what? And and so we have a little tagline that says that life is complicated enough. God serving God shouldn't be. So, does it pass the simple test? Is what somebody is proposing to do, is it simple? No. Yeah, can't do it. Sorry. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't do things. We just hosted hosted the XO marriage conference. And we had people who were involved with using their gifts and designing it and putting it together and doing all these things and using their gifts. And guess what? It was awesome. Now, you could argue if that was simple or not. Kyle would say that was complicated, but... But again, these are, in a sense, you could say it that way, is that the core values are the test as to do we do this or do we do that. Number two, and this is where Mardi Gras would would fall in. This was the big yes for me when it was like, should we do this? I have this crazy harebrained idea. And when I said it, you could see people like, hmm, hmm. The second one is movement. We meet people where they are. 
So what I know is that between the two parades that we were a part of, we were exposed to about 15,000 people. I know this is going to be a shocker. There are not 15,000 people in this room. I know it's hard to believe. Don't try to count. No, we meet people where they are in life and we help them move closer to God. Sometimes we have to go out of our four walls and remind people that God loves them. And not just be here in the building. See, and so, and even for us personally, so that's one side of movement. The other side is, isn't the question of if you've moved. The question is, is where? We're all moving. We're, you know, we, we don't sit still. We don't get to a place and plateau. No, we're either moving forward or we're regressing in our life with God. We're not sitting still. There's either forward momentum or backwards momentum. You're not probably just holding steady. You can momentarily, but it won't very momentarily. The third value, the third test that we run everything through is that relationships. And so God made us to connect with others so that his life can be shared. Groups. Why do we do groups? Because we believe in the power of relationships. I believe that I'm actually better in relationships. Just give you an example of this. This semester, I'm actually leading two life groups and I attend a life group. Why? Because it makes a difference. And the one that I attend is for me. The ones that I lead are for those who come. It's very different. Why? Because I believe in the power of relationships. I'll just be real honest with you. I I get up earlier on that day of the week to go meet with about a dozen men every week. It's the earliest I wake up all week. I'm not a morning person. I'm just impressed that I can think at that time of the morning. But there's value and because there's value, it determines my behavior. And the content's great, but the relationships are better. I don't know what number I'm on here. Four, I think. Yes, four. The fourth one is unity. I talked about this one a little bit last week, but it, it, it is one of them. And so that we create and we protect the unity of the house because this should be a safe place. So if we hear somebody gossip, hey, this isn't the place for that. I love you, but my value says we, we can't allow that to. Why? Because it affects the unity of the house, which affects the ability of the house. It's a very important. Uh, number five, faithfulness. I shared about this one last week, but we refuse to be spiritual consumers. Therefore, everything that is entrusted to us is increased. Let me say it another way. Is that everything that's entrusted to us must be increased. The status quo is not good enough. We will fight and we will push forward. Why? Because the Bible says the kingdom of God only moves forward that way. It's not a passive thing that we do. We have to be on the offensive In other words, we're going to go and put a float in the parade. We're going to go and serve our community. We're not going to wait for them to come to us. We are going to go to them. Why? Because we are representing Jesus who paid the price for my sins. And if he wants my Saturday morning, he gets it. Pastoral conversation, right? I'm pastoring you right now. Man, this is kind of heavy. Truth can be. My, My goal is to shake you a little bit. That's really my goal of this morning is to get you to kind of come to a little, shake you a little bit. 
Why? Because at the beginning or at the end of last year, coming into the beginning of this year, that's what the Lord began to speak to me about. Because of coming through the pandemic, coming through the hurricanes. He, the, the specific instruction was get back to being the church. You've got to minister to people. You're not just an outreach organization. You don't just rebuild houses and, and do this. And, and not that we don't do those things. We absolutely do. And we're still involved in the community. But it's not the primary focus. You could say it this way. Is that God was saying, telling me as the pastor to focus. Steer the ship in the right direction. The sixth one, sixth value here. Is generosity. Is that we are over the top givers with every resource that God has placed into our hands. That includes our money, but it's not solely. With every resource. How many of you realize that your talents are also a resource? Your giftings are a resource that God has given you. We are over the top givers. We sacrificially give. We sacrificially we serve with everything that God has put into our hands. We love to give and we serve with uncommon generosity. That's what I want to be said about us as a church. When we go out into the community, we're not the people that don't pay our bills. We're the people that are over the top generous. Over the top, like too much. The last one is expansion. Number seven, expansion. We are thankful for those. Let me say it this way. We are thankful for those of you who are here. Those of you who are online today. But we will always strive and always move for more. I'm not satisfied or contented to just have church. I want to impact our community, and, and, and that involves all of us. It, let me say this if we're going to reach our community, that means God has to do something in us first. If God wants to do something through us, He first has to do it in us, or we're just hypocrites. And I don't know about you, but for me, I refuse to be a hypocrite. I refuse to do it. When I got saved, I got saved. I made a commitment to the Lord that this is life. This life is not my own. Why? Because I grew up in church and I saw a bunch of hypocrites. And I couldn't stand it. And that was the reason that it turned me off to church. And so when I got saved, I made a commitment. I'm all in. This life ain't about me anymore. I was fully invested. And God has been very patient and very gracious and very kind with me. To allow me to grow through all these years. But I'm not trying to play both sides. I want to be focused on the one who saved me. And the one who called me. And the one who's redeemed me. And the one who's healed me. He's the one that I live for. It's not about what I want. It's not about my agenda any longer. So if we're going to serve and, and we're going to be about who God has called us to be, Jesus gives us a very important understanding. And it comes out of Mark chapter 10. I'm going to start in verse 42 and read through verse 45. It'll be on the screens. And this is particularly in response to the disciples jockeying for position. Because if we're going to talk about unity, we have to talk about this, right? Because it's not about who stands here versus who stands at the door, who serves back in kids. No, when we stand before Jesus, he's not going to ask you, hey, how was Pastor David's message? Because I'm going to hold you responsible for that. No, he's not going to ask you that. He's going to ask me that. He's not going to ask you that. But he may ask you, did you serve the purpose that I had for you? 
in that season and in that body of believers. But Jesus gives us instructions on how we're to lead in whatever capacity we've been called to. Mark chapter 10 verse 42 says, You know that the rulers in the world lord it over their people. Let me say it this way. Most of the time when you walk into a business, you have no, no doubt who the boss is. That's the way the world operates. He says, and, and officials flaunt their authority over those who are under them. He says, but among you, it will be different. He didn't say it should. He said it will be. That's a pretty clear statement from Jesus. Among you. Let me say it this way. If I'm Jesus, which I'm not. But I don't think it changes the text. It says among you it better be different. If you're going to call me savior, it better be different. You better not, Lord, your position and whoever you are. Well, I've been serving God for 30 years. Great. How deep has that salvation gone into your heart? Well, I've sat in this seat for 20 years. Great, you should be thankful somebody you don't know is sitting in it. That means that there's actually new people in the church. Again, it's not about preference. Jesus says, if you want to lead among you, it's going to be different. He says, whoever of you wants to be a leader, he says, you must be a servant. And whoever wants to be, a ser- or whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life, serve others, give his life as an example, as a ransom for many. Now, I normally wouldn't do this, but just for the sake of conversation, I want to give you an understanding of something. It's easy to look now, today, 20 plus years after serving the Lord and say, it must be nice to get up and be the guy that everybody looks to. But I can tell you this, there were many nights, many, many, many days that I've served in the house of God that nobody ever saw, that no one will ever know. But I had the attitude that everything that I do, I do is unto the glory of God. And let me just give you a very real example of this. I'm an orderly kind of person. I don't like chaos. And so I always did sound and media and kind of behind the the soundboard. I came and set up chairs for church when nobody else was around. I just served because God had done something in my life and I didn't know what else to do. So I just, what can I do? But because of the area of my involvement in the church was sound, we had a closet that everything just got thrown into. You know that junk closet in every church? And it was full of audio cables. And if you think that extension cords are bad about tangling up, let me introduce you to our closets which actually i had somebody straighten up because i can't take it no one ever had to ask me to do it and again i'm not telling you this to brag on me but i'm just telling you i know this is why god has opened doors for me and i know this is why god has done things for me because i would go up by myself and i would straighten up cables for hours fix cables that were broke Nobody knew who fixed them. They were broken. They needed to be fixed. That way, because there's nothing worse than being the sound guy and you go grab a cable and then it doesn't work. Especially if it's in the middle of church. And there were hours and hours and hours and hours. 
And there's been hours and hours and hours of prayer that no one has ever seen. And study that no one has ever seen. And I don't do it for you. I do it for the one that I'm called to serve. Because he's the one that I'm going to answer to. And please don't, don't hear this as like that I'm, what I'm telling you is I've done it. I've been the guy to clean the toilets and mop the floor and be the last one to leave and just say, hey, I'm not leaving until you tell me you don't need anything else. And I'm not telling you to do that. I'm just telling you what I've done. Why? Because the, the, the house of God was important to me. It was more than just a building. It was a place where people's lives were getting touched and people's lives were getting transformed. And so when I was asked to do another thing, and I'm like, oh my gosh, go find somebody else. But here was the thing. They knew that if they asked me and I said, yes, I would do it. That's why the Bible says that faithful or that it's hard to find faithful people that will do what they commit to do. Again, I'm not getting on to you. This is just a pastoral. This is a growth moment. Follow through. Do what you say you're going to do. Why? Because there are people's lives that are in the balance. We're to be humble. We're not here to, 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 and so it may be, hey, can you stand at the door and greet people? I don't even like people. (laughs) Do it for the glory of God and smile because you're saved. You're like, I don't feel like smiling. Fake it. Like, Jesus will be happy with that fake right there. And what you may find is, I actually do enjoy people. I shared this with you last week, and I'm going to give you two of them here back to back. But I shared this with you last week is that your spiritual growth will be hindered without a spiritual family to belong in. It's true. You can argue with me all day long, and I will go toe to toe with you with Scripture that this is absolute fact. Like, yeah, but I just need Jesus. The Bible doesn't say that. Jesus didn't say that. You got to belong to a spiritual family. And belonging is more than attending. I spent time and talked about this last week. You've got to be known. You've got to be in relationship. Because something powerful begins to happen. Why? Because our, our, our hearts become one. It's no longer, these are the people that I go to church with. This is the, it, it's the family that I belong to. It's where the Bible talks about that we weep with those who weep. And it's not that I go and put eye drops in there so I can fake my tears. But it's actually that my heart is actually breaking because I love you and I'm committed to you. And so on your worst day, I'm going to be there with you. And on your best day, I'm going to be there to celebrate with you. That is what family looks like. It doesn't matter the high and the low. You'll never be alone. That is family. That is what the church is called to be. Is that I'm not praying by myself. I'm not seeking God by myself. But man, I am on a train of people who are moving towards what God has for us. Here's the second truth. So your spiritual growth will be hindered without a spiritual family. But also your spiritual growth will be hindered unless you utilize your gifts to serve others. You have gifts. But if you, st- if you don't activate those gifts, your spiritual growth will plateau. Now let me say this. God's gifts are not for abuse. They are for use. I'll just speak into my own world. There are many pastors who abuse the pulpit and their position. 
And it is wrong. God did not call me to pastor to abuse anybody because I have a gift. I will stand before God and give account for my gift. And that keeps me in perspective. But I do have a responsibility to use my gift. And to use it humbly and and honestly and with a pure heart before the Lord. I mean, trust me, there's been times where I'm like, man, I'm just going to go run a business. It'd be easier than, than pastoring a church. I'd make more money. It'd be easier. It'd be less complicated. It would, it would ask a lot less of my family, for sure. But at the end of the day, I know what I'm called to. And I know what my family's called to. And I know that there's a grace upon us to do what God has called us to do. And just as there's a grace on me, there's a grace upon you. That God is calling you into. To step into and to be who he's called you to be. Because you can't be who God's called you to be apart from his grace. I've tried and it's miserable. You can't work hard enough and there aren't enough hours in the day to do it. You need the grace of God in your life. So if you're going to grow, you've got to belong to a spiritual family. If you're going to grow, you've got to utilize your gifts to step into who God has called you to be. It's a requirement. It's not my requirement. It's God's requirement. Jesus sets you in the church for a purpose. And when each one does its special work, its specific work, the whole body benefits. We're all better. We're all healthier, which is really important to me. I've been a part of some dysfunctional churches. I don't want that to be us. The only way for that not to happen is that we're unified. Is that we have clarity of purpose. We know why we're here. We know what we do. We, there's that, that consistency in our hearts. Man, I'm committed to you. You may not know the person to your left. You may not know the person to your right. But there's still that, man, I'm committed to the body of Christ. And it's something powerful that can happen. And the blessing of God will fall upon that unity. And when the blessing of God falls upon the house, we can see God do some amazing things. We'll see more people reached and more people touched than we could have ever imagined or thought possible. It's just, it's just the truth. It, 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 but there's blessing that comes when, when there's unity in the house. In other words, we've got to lay our, our agendas aside. And that might even mean something like, let me just give you an example. You might serve in one area of ministry and we come to you and say, hey, we appreciate all that you're doing here. But man, we really think. And you're like, yeah, but I don't think that. But, but are you going to be humble enough to say, hey, I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust those in leadership to, to say, hey, I need you over here. And it may be, it, like, I'll just give you an example. Because I love him and I love his heart. Beginning of the year, we wanted to launch into our kids' ministry. Because we haven't had it because of COVID. Because we didn't have volunteers, we didn't have people, we didn't have all the stuff. And so we had it all laid out and we're like, hey, to do it, you gotta, gotta, gotta have people. And I asked Alex, sitting right here on the front row, he's involved in other areas of the church. And, 
And I said, hey, would you just step in? It's not forever, but can you just help me bridge a gap? I know in my heart we've got to get back to church. We've got to get back to doing things. And, and, he, and he just said, I'll do it. I know that's not his calling. He knows it's not his calling, I'm pretty certain. <laughs> but he just said yes. And he served once a month back there. It's not forever. I think I asked you for three months or six months. I don't know what I asked you. Maybe a year. Maybe it was a year. No, just kidding. I'm just kidding. And I, but I love the heart that just says, hey, wherever you need me, I'm a team player. Whatever you need for me, I'm in. And so I'm asking you, I've been asking for like a month or so. I mean, last week we turned kids away. From our kids ministry because we were at capacity. Because I need to open another kids classroom. But I don't have the people to do it yet. And I can't put many more people in the sanctuary. Because with more people comes more kids. It's just where I'm at. It's a tremendous opportunity. But we need some help. There's a board out there in the lobby that says, say yes. And there's literally a ticket for each. And each one of those tickets is not like unlimited numbers. That's how many people I need. So that everybody would serve once a month. So just as I told you about the offering, I'm going to ask you the same thing again. I'm going to ask you to pray and ask the Lord. What area do I need to be in? What, what role on the team do I need to feel right now? May not be forever, but it is right now. Ask the Lord and do what he asks you to do. Don't do it because you think I'm a good preacher. Don't do it because I'm your pastor. Do it because you love Jesus. Because you're thankful for what God has done in your life. Be active in the body. Because we're not complete without you. That's more than just a phrase that I said. Is that, hey, that, that this church needs you. Yeah, it does. But equally, you need this church. It's just true. And you can never fulfill your calling without other people. It's not going to happen. And so I, I want to pray over you this morning. Before I close out. But man, there's, I said this last week and I'll say it just real quick. If you're going to belong, you got to engage. Get on a team. Get in a group. Life groups are just launching. If you haven't, maybe you had a group in your heart and, and you didn't say, hey, I want to lead that group this semester. But man... The Holy Spirit convicted me that I need to do this this semester. It's not too late. You can open a group right now. Like, oh, but I missed launch Sunday. Who cares? Because this is what I do know is if the Lord put it in your heart to do it, there's somebody who needs that group. So engage. Become active. You may engage financially. You've never given. You've never supported the work of the ministry. You're not doing it for this church. Here's what I know and this is what I, I believe. This is God's church. It's not mine. He will provide. That's what I know. He will provide. Maybe through you, but if it's not through you, it will be through somebody else. That's not to put pressure on you. I just want you to know my heart. I mean, I see the reports and I see things. I'm like, God's your problem, not mine. I have to work on that one, to be honest. Because I want to fix it. 
I want to do things that's like, well, I can't do that. I can't preach the message and serving the kids and be over here and do all the, I can't do everything. But I can do my part. And when all the parts are doing their part, the whole church grows and is healthy and is full of love. And there's the power of God is moving to touch more people's lives. So let me pray over you this morning. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. Father, I thank you.